All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's so, so, so exciting to see each and every one of you here. Um, my name is JJ. For those of you who haven't met me yet, it's a great honor to welcome you here with us as well. Um, if anything, I regret not meeting you sooner. We love people. We love to meet new people. Uh, thank you for uh, spending some of your morning with us here today. And uh, I'm just excited about what God is doing in our, in our church. Thanks, Nat. Um, <clears throat> and um, excuse me, let me mm, just get a gulp of that down. And um, um, if you, if you um, man, I don't know about you, but I, there's something about being together with Christians, the family of God, people of God, that is uplifting, that's faith building, that's encouraging, that, that tells you this, it tells you it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I want you to know that with God on your side and in the midst of family, it's going to be okay. There's a way through. There's a way out. And uh, I hope that God will encourage your soul today that you might know that He is the God of the impossible. That doesn't matter what odds you face with Him, you are a majority. Um, and you, you're, in, you're not an underdog. You're, in, you're the favorite to win, right? Um, while while back, I was reading, you know, through the Old Testament. I was reading about all, all these these nations, you know, the um, all the all, <laughs> all the ites, the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the Gideonites and all the ites knights. And I was like, man, that's 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 a lot of knights and ites. And he says, yeah, there's another one. God told me, yeah, there's another one. It's called they're, they're called my favorites, and, and you're part of them. And so, so y'all are all part of the nation of God called His favorites. Okay. And um, that means that his favor is right on you. Uh, and, 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 and he wants things to work out for you as much as you, and even more than you want it to work out for you. And, and his word and his family and the whole kingdom of God is designed to help you become victorious and help you win. And that's what it does. It wins. Like, did Jesus win the devil, beat the devil? Right? He did. Right? So that laid the foundation of what he's going to be doing forever until like you know the devil is finally dealt with you know permanently um he's gonna win and, and and if you have him on your side right if you have him on your side you will win um when i was very young <clears throat> and i became serious in my relationship with the lord um I, I i had this epiphany the one time you know it was always like this battle is produced you know is is, is shown to us between the the devil and, and God and the devil wants to, you know, wants to get you and, and God wants to help you and all that. And so I used to read scripture says, God is on your side. And I was thinking, okay, you know, he's on my side against the opponent, you know, he's rooting for me, you know. So, so whenever the, me and the devil are at it and we were battling things out, I have to know that God is for me and he's going, come on, champ, you can do this. But my image of that was almost like God was in the stands, you know, like he was on the bleachers and he was like a good dad, you know, just shouting, get him, get him, no, the other way, that's your goal, okay? But, but what I realized was really was not God is on my side. In other words, he's shouting for me to get it done. He's shouting that I would be encouraged to go and do it. No, 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 God is on my side. And he's doing on my behalf what I cannot do. And so we have to know these things about the Holy Spirit and about the, the, the desire of God. It's is not just to shout, go, you can do it. 
He's come along with me. I am doing it on your behalf. And so no matter what you're going through, you have to know that the Holy Spirit wants to beat that thing for you. He wants to help you to overcome that thing. In fact, He's already made it possible for you to do that in Christ. And if you will understand the kingdom of God correctly, and if you will allow Jesus in the center of your life, then these things start taking on the image of God, not just internally, but your external environment starts taking on the image of the kingdom of God. Think about the kingdom of the God of this universe. There's order, there's life, there's health, there's joy, there's peace. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking. It's not in what we need to do to get saved. It's all about righteousness. The fact that Jesus went ahead of us and did it on our behalf. Peace, therefore, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so I wish that you will grow in your knowledge of God because that's what our church is about is get to know God more deeply and more intimately. There's a a verse in, in, oh my goodness, I need to get into this. There's a verse in Philippians 3 that says this in, in the message translation, my determined purpose is that I may more deeply and intimately become acquainted with God. There is not ever an end to knowing God, to the depths of His grace, the depths of His love, the depths of His joy and peace. And we can always be growing and ever increasing in that. I think the Bible calls that to grow from glory to glory, to step into the full expression of what God's kingdom has brought about for us. And so if I'm talking Greek to you right now, it means that you need to be around more often. Okay, (laughs) because we talk about these things a lot and how to do that, how to step into that. Um, We want y'all to win. We want y'all to get free, stay free, and help others get free from whatever's holding them back in life and in their relationship with God. And we want you to understand what it means when Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, go as you go, make disciples of all nations. We have a passion for the nations of this world to see Jesus lifted high and to see see them follow Jesus. We can pray for Ukraine, but we also need to pray for the nations that are on our shores, the nations that are around us. And by, you know, whether you agree with how or what, um, you know, they came, the fact is they're here. They're here and they need Jesus. And so let's solve the problems, but let's also respond to the humanity. Let's fix the issues, but let's also not disregard the person in front of us that needs God, that needs Jesus just as much as you and I do. And so we will be um, representatives of our God and the kingdom of God. We won't just, you know, be representatives of our own point of points of view. We've been talking about red flags, a series called Red Flags. And um, the first couple of weeks we spoke about red flags and me. Um, what are red flags in my relationship with God? Red flags in marriage was the second sermon, and the third was red flags in dating. And uh, uh, we've touched on some pretty hot topics during these sermons, and I want to encourage you to really just get that podcast, put it on while you're driving, and listen to the first couple of messages, not because I think my voice is amazing, just because I think that there was really good information shared that might bring freedom and liberty to you and breakthrough to you in the things that you might be struggling with and unaware of that there are solutions to those things. Today, we're going to talk about red flags and family. 
We're going to talk about a couple of issues. Now, there are way more flags and family life and family existence that we can ever cover in one sermon. So I just picked three, three things that are real, almost like headings, but there are like subcategories of flags under these big flags, you know. Um, And uh, so it remains our own responsibility to always think further and take this message content and and, and go and dig deeper into it and ask yourself always, what are those flags mean to me? Which of them are relevant? to me and how do I take the word of God and think through how to address them in my life because Proverbs 27 verse 12 says this a prudent person foresees danger and he takes precaution but a simpleton or another translation says a fool goes blindly on and then suffers the consequences for it Um, if there is one way to avoid uh, uh, you know uh, driving over a cliff is to acknowledge the the warning signs that says, you know, road out, turn around now, stop your vehicle immediately. Oops. <laughs> um, red flags do that for us. And so, um, so normally what we, would, what we would do is we would, we would see a red flag and go, oh, snap, there's something that I can't do or shouldn't be doing. Like if it's at the ocean, I shouldn't be swimming today, you know, because there's maybe a, a flesh bacteria in the water that I didn't you know that I wasn't wasn't uh, told about or or maybe the seas are just rough or uh, if, if I see if I'm in a, in, a, in, a, in a motor car race you know a red flag comes up you know that something seriously went wrong and there's probably going to be a delay to the race and so these flags show you that you need to slow down heed what's going on figure out whether this is relevant to you whether it's going to affect you take the necessary um, corrective measures before you move on. And so I hope today that we can just take a moment to slow down. However, sometimes when we share red flags, they feel condemning. Let me say this, like I've said every time, a red flag is not condemnation or judgment from God. No, really what it is, is it's an invitation for you to come and learn his ways, for you to come and see how the kingdom of God will help you to circumvent the tragi- tragedy that could be you know, ensuing if you don't listen to it. It's an invitation to relationship with him. It's an invitation to come and say, okay, Lord, I, I feel that this is relevant to me. How do I move on from here? It's not coming to say, hey, you are bad. No, it's coming to say, hey, there's something bad about to get you. If you take precaution now, you will avoid that. So let's all um, just as we listen to today, because it's going gonna, it's gonna, to uh, address a couple of things that are probably very prevalent in our society. Um, and they're ca- kind of big things, you know. Um, and, and, <clears throat> and we can often think of them as so big that, you know, there's nothing to be done about it. We just kind of have to ignore them. But that's why we're talking about them today. It's a red flag. We can't ignore it. We have to respond to it. All right, so the first one I want to address today is the, um, the fact that fathers are absent in our families in today's life. It's a fact that children who come from homes with involved dads are 40% likely to have mostly, uh, more likely to have mostly A's on their report cards. Just the fact that a father that's involved, 40% more likely, that says nothing about the child's ability. It's just the presence of an involved father. Um, 45% more likely to not repeat a grade. 60% less likely to be suspended for ill behavior. Listen to this one. 200% more likely to go to a college. 
and get stable employment. Children who have involved dads in their households are 75% less likely to have a teenage birth. And 50%, sorry, I said that one. Yeah, and 50% less likely to suffer from depression. And he, listen to this one. This was, this was huge. 80% less likely than their counterpart that don't have an involved father to be incarcerated for something. Healthy father-child relationships are, in fact, the number one factor in the development of empathy. If you don't develop empathy, you grow up to be a calloused, hard-hearted adult. The more you were, you were developed in your empathy as a child, the more likely you are to be a compassionate adult one day. And healthy father relationships with their kids have been proven to be the number one factor in helping kids develop empathy. It's incredible, isn't it? Even when you work away from home, you don't have to be absent from your home. I don't think absence from the home is a geographical issue. I think it's a heart issue. And I think if we realize how important fathers are to the development of our children, we'll realize that a father is, more, um, is good for way more than just providing for the family. Your emotional involvement is developing in your child a security, a baseline of normality that cannot happen unless you are there. Now, off the bat, I want to say, what about families where there are, no fam- there are no parents? Are they hopeless? You know what? Families are one of those relationships that you don't get to choose to have. Okay? Unless, you know, uh, I'm talking about natural family, right? And so if you're here and, and, and your parents have chosen certain paths and it have impacted you, is there something we can do about the crackle? It's bad enough to, I need a battery, this thing's flat. There we go. Um, do, do switch this one out for me with some batteries as well. <coughs> and because it's not something that you always are in control of choosing, right, your family relationships, I believe God has an incredible way to, to help, an incredible way to allow single parents to fulfill both roles, but I think there are also responsible choices that you have to make to help your children. And here's what I would say to you if you're a single parent. Whatever side of the parenting you are, whether you're a mom or a dad, you have to journey with your kids about the fact that they don't have a resident father or mother. And help them see people around them that are healthy models of fatherhood and motherhood that they can relate to 
not the same way exactly that they would relate to, but that they can actually see and start differentiating for themselves what are healthy models of fatherhood and motherhood, whichever one they're missing. What, what does that look like? And so I know that it's probably the hardest thing for you to do, but it's one, that's why it's so important because you have to help them see what are good and what are not what what is not good and so i want to encourage you don't hide the fact that they don't have that father or mother in their in their life talk about it process it with them tell them what the difference would have been between you and a father or you and a mother and help them see how that can help them to 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 look for those characteristic traits in people around them like in a family like this where they would be able to see oh that's probably a healthy father look how he interacts with his children and i understand that that might cause you know um a sense of longing and that's where God comes in. In that sense of longing, that's where God comes in. He fills whatever gaps there are for their lives. And for you to learn to help them see that whatever, whatever emotional need they have, they can bring that to God. And God can fill that space in their lives. And so it's, it, it's a combination of things. But I think that the, the, the one thing that you shouldn't do is, is ignore it. And kind of act like it's not an, it's not important. I think it's important for them to know that they need to see what is healthy in a father, what is healthy in a mother, and then they need to 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 to, to take that into their growth and development, so that one day they'll know to choose a father for their kids one day that looks more like what they were shown to be healthy than what they grew up to experience as just missing. And a big question mark over what that could be and what that should be. I believe single parents have an incredible responsibility because you need to help your children to pick somebody that they don't know what is what it is. In a family where their mother and a father is, inevitably a, a, a daughter looks for attributes and characteristics of her dad in the person that, they, that, 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 that she wants to um, get married with. You know, and so it's important that you um, that you show them what is healthy and what is not to help that development take place. But I want to implore the fathers here: be present in relationships with your children, not just your physical appearance. Right? Your aim is to represent God the Father as accurately as humanly possible. Now, I'm a flawed human being. And I know all of us are. And nobody's expecting you to be 100% perfect. But your pursuit is what they need to see. Your pursuit. And we'll talk about that in a bit. What that pursuit would look like. But let me say this. It's possible for you to be a biological father. And never become a spiritual father to your children. God forbid that that happens. God wants you to be as much a spiritual leader, a spiritual father to your kids than he wants you to be their physical dad. And, 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 and that actually is possible for, it doesn't matter who you are to that child. Even if you're not their biological father, you can become instrumental in their spiritual development by aiming to become a spiritual father to them. 
So I want to tell you three things as fathers that you can do to, um, to not just be a biological father or just be um, a legal guardian, but to become a spiritual father. Here's the first thing 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 would say. I want you to pattern your life after me just as I pattern my life after Christ. The first thing you need to do is you need to tell them how to do things. And then you need to tell them, now watch me do it. Now watch me do it. The first sentence you need to ban out of your vocabulary is do as I say, not do as I do. You need to ban that out of your vocabulary. That's a cheap cop-out that nullifies your authority and it completely jeopardizes your integrity. If you say that to your children, why would they ever want to listen to you? Because if you don't do it, instinctively, they believe neither do they. Now, I was told that all my life. And at some point, I had to make a decision that I will not repeat that to my children. Now, we have a sentence as Christians that we use, and it's this one. Look at my life and pattern your life after me. In fact, you need to be as serious as to say to them, I give you permission to do everything that I'm doing in the right season of, the, of, of life. And if you don't want them to be doing that in that season, then you better not be doing that. This is serious. Tell them, now watch me do it. Now, I don't know about you, but I have, I've, I've kind of a messed up childhood, okay? Like, like there were things that I did that I'm not proud of. But you know the mistake we make? We tend to tell our kids about all the dumb things we did. A and in an, in an attempt to almost, to, to tell them, look, these are the consequences that I, you know, suffered as a result. I believe there's a time to tell kids some of the things that we did. I don't think it's part of their formative years, though. I think we try to be as open and, you know, as honest and as, you know, as, as non-pretentious um, as we can. And, and there's nothing bad about that. But it's something about parents telling their kids how bad they were that becomes a goal for a child to either match or to one-up. Let me tell you how it happened in my life. All our, ch life, all our ch childhood life, we would hear how mischievous my parents were okay, as children, right? And they would tell us, look, you know, what we, what we, what we used to do is, and um, this is my grandparents. Now, my child is here, so I, I need to be careful. But they would tell us mischievous things that they did, right? And then, and then how... Uh, adventurous and exhilarating that was and how dangerous and risky it was and and whereas they would tell us that that was bad and they would tell us how bad it influenced the people that they did it to that message sort of never got to us the only thing that came to us is that there's some adventure to be had and this is how you do adventure you do mischievous things and some of those mischievous things that they would do was literally property damage. It was, it was, it was wrong. 
But that gave us this exhilarating idea. What can we do to have the same adventure as our parents once did? And so we did. We went about doing dumb things that I am not proud of and that I don't talk about because I don't want to celebrate that even by giving it the light of day. Maybe one day if it's necessary. But I would rather want my kids to be innocent of evil and excellent at what is good, like the Bible says, than for them to start, you know, fantasize about, you know, how can we, you know, bring damage to other people's property and break the laws of God in all sorts of ways. Because that's really what it is, right? So I want to be able to tell them, look, I want, I, want, I want to show you how to do it. And now to the best of my ability, I want you to see how I'm doing it in my season of life. Even though there were seasons before that I didn't do it. I want you to see my pursuit now. My pursuit now is for this season of life to be, to be completely, completely Jesus and Christ centered. So that you will know for every single season that you find yourself in that that's the way to go. And so I want to tell them, watch me do it. The second thing I want to do is I want to discipline with affection. I want to discipline with affection. If it's going to be reactive, it's probably going to be demeaning. If it's reactive, it's probably going to be demeaning. If it's proactive, discipline can be very, very affirming. Okay? That's why first-time obedience is so important. You know why we blow up? Because we didn't discipline them the first time they, d they disobeyed us. And then it started building up, building up, building up, building up, building up, building up, building up. And one day they do something and you just go, explode. Right? Now I've exploded because I've, and that doesn't, that doesn't give you an excuse to explode. That, that tells you my weaknesses, right? That I need to take proactive measures to correct in myself. But that's, it always happens this way. I see something, I'm irritated by it. I tell them do it, they don't do it, I ignore it. That goes on for a while. And before I know it, I'm standing outside with <laughs> my kids around me on our way to school and I'm swearing that I'm going to give each of them the biggest hiding of their lives if I see another paper lying around anywhere on my property. <laughs> I could have averted that moment. I could have averted them seeing me blow up like that if I not just told them, but if I disciplined them in how I want them to keep things tidy. If first-time obedience isn't practice, you will become reactive in your discipline and you won't be able to be affectionate in your discipline. Um, so nine out of ten times the blow up is actually our own mistake as parents. Our own mistake as parents. It's not their fault that we blew up. But what was the first thing we would say? Now look what you had me do, right? Now look what you made me do. No, 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 no. It wasn't actually them that made us do that. It was us that made us do that because we didn't practice the principle of first-time obedience. Now, the year, here's the important thing that affectionate discipline does. It always reminds them whose they are and how we are. Okay? Remember this. Discipline always reminds them who they are. When I have to have a serious talk with one of my kids, I will always tell them, Wh whose kid are you? 
you're my kid. And then I'll tell them, let me tell you how we do things. We don't do it that way. We rather do an X, Y, and Z, and I would explain how we do it. What am I doing? I'm not making the issue become a separation thing between my child and I. I'm making the issue an external thing from us. I'm gaining their love and their affection, and I'm reminding them of their identity before I start correcting behavior. There's something you don't want to ever happen in your child's life is them thinking that they are bad. You want them always to know that you accept them, love them unconditionally as they are, but that there's behavior that you want to see change. And that's how you do it. You remind them whose they are. You're my child, and we don't do things this way. Discipline with affection. Listen to what Hebrews 12 verse 5 I have to say. It says, have you forgotten his encouraging words spoken to you as children? He said, my child, don't underestimate the value of discipline and training of the Lord God or get depressed when he has corrected you. For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. The Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. How many of you have <laughs> thought that, okay, no, it's the blessings, you know? It's when I get my prayers answered. That's when God affirms his love to me. It's when I have a, you know, a little frissons moment that I feel the love of God, you know? The Bible says, no, 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 it's when he corrects you. That's when he affirms you as his child. Why? Listen to what it says. It says, and he draws you to himself. It proves that you are his delightful child. Delightful child. The child that he takes joy in. Okay? And then it says, fully embrace God's correction as a part of your training. For he's doing what any loving father will do. For his children. For who has ever heard of a child who never needed correction? And here's the clincher. We should all welcome God's discipline as the validation of authentic sonship. It's the stamp of approval. If God disciplines you, he says, you are my child. For if, he has never once endured, for if we have never once endured this correction, it only proves that we are strangers and not sons. If God doesn't discipline you, he has no business with you. I don't discipline Chuck's kids. I have no business disciplining them. They're not mine. No matter how much I love them and how much I you know, like celebrate them and, 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 and hero them, there's a line. <laughs> Chuck's going to get on my case if I start telling Drew, bro, you're grounded. <laughs> On what authority? None. Uh, he's not mine. I can't ground him. <laughs> right? So when somebody actually disciplines you, you need to realize that that's how they're telling you you're theirs. You're theirs. Un unless they're weird and, and you just go, all right. Okay, <laughs> go talk to my mom about this, all right. So, di <laughs> discipline with affection. 
And affectionate discipline will always affirm identity. It will always affirm belonging. You ask yourself when you've disciplined, will they walk away knowing that they're yours, that you love them? And I think it's not the right way to do it like it was done to me. Um, You know, (laughs) I would get a complete like blow up and then I would be marched off to the bathroom and then you know the whatever thing that was available would come off and I would be you know the 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 sponge uh, that needs to absorb the full wrath of dad and once that has you know been uh, fully you know uh, uh, expelled out of his system he would then go you know I love you right I'm like my goodness I don't want love if it means this No, discipline with affection does not mean you get to blow up and then try and cover up your mistake with a little I love you. It completely transforms the way you journey with them, you walk with them, you affirm them. Number C, the third thing we need to do to become spiritual fathers more than just uh, physical fathers or caretakers is this, humble yourself publicly and take corrective measures in the open. Humility is magnetic because it's strong, it's safe, and it's just right. You know, when you admit a mistake in front of your kids and you ask them to forgive you, you restore so many things that they know instinctively should be so. If you don't, you violate their very sense of right and wrong. If you cover up and justify and blame them, for what it, when you've made a mistake, or if they see you do that with maybe your wife or whatever case may be, you violate their, their, inst- their, their God-given conscience that has been designed to understand when something is right and when something is not. You challenge their innate understanding and force them to start considering alternative rights. Well, dad says this is right, so I guess it must be. It just makes no sense. But you know what? He's dad, so if it's right there, it must be right on the playing field during recess. Don't violate your child's conscience by trying to cover up your pride. Humble yourself publicly. If you spoke bad to their, pa- to their, to their mother, tell, them, t- tell her in front of them that you're sorry and ask her to forgive you. You will instill a sense of justice that is based on their, des- their, their God-given design that they will never depart from. That will always be a rudder that guides them toward what is true and what is right according to God's word. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 says. It says, My grace is always more than enough for you, and my power finds its full expression through your weakness. In fact, if you want to do right by your child, humble yourself in front of them. Admit your mistakes in front of them. If it affected them, ask them to forgive you. God's power will enter into that relationship. And it will transform that relationship and you will become a spiritual leader, a spiritual guide to them. 
Don't try and fight for your authority. You don't have to fight for your authority because you did not gain your authority. It was given to you by God. It's His order. It's the way He does things. You don't have to fight for your authority, protect your authority. No, in fact, what you need to do is you need to serve them humbly as you would in any other leadership situation. That will validate your authority and it will keep God's presence and spirit behind your authority to bring the transformation. It's in your weakness that you will become an effective parent. But weakness doesn't mean, you know, Oh, this is just my sin that I'm tolerating. No, no, no. Weakness means this is how I'm humbling myself in front of them and showing them how to repent, showing them how to accept that I was wrong, change my thinking, and therefore change my ways. Children feel safe when they know that their sins are redeemable, and they need to see your sin being redeemed in front of their eyes. Now, there are obviously certain things that are you know, inappropriate for their season of life that they shouldn't know about. But look, most things, probably anyways, are going to come out. If there was infidelity, well, it's probably going to come out because there's going to be a public situation bec- because of it, right? So rather expose the sin and, and let them see it before they have to find out or before they get like completely confused by it in life. Here's what happens when you humble yourself in front of your child and you ask them for forgiveness. You ask people that you've wronged for forgiveness around you in front of them. Here's what they see. They don't see your humiliation. Hear me out, guys. They don't see your humiliation. What they see is they see the ensuing reconciliation. They see the effect of relationships being mended. You know how important it is for a child to see that relationships can be mended even when there was, uh, um, you know, offense, offenses made against it? It lets them look forward to the press through the discomfort of admitting their mistakes because they've seen the other side of repentance. They've seen reconciliation. They've seen life beyond mistakes. It's what will encourage them to be honest when they've disobeyed you and not lie to your face. Why? Because if they only recognize and see the results of their mistake as being like an explosion, wrath, judgment, punishment, guess what they're going to do next time they did something stupid? Cover it up, hide, run away from you, lie. But if they're constantly seeing that a mistake can lead to reconciliation, a mistake can be fixed, they want the fixed relationship because in the moment of sin, they feel intuitively separated from you. And they want to know that it's going to be okay. And if they've been given the hope of reconciliation through your humble example, they will press through the discomfort of admitting that they did wrong so that they can get back to the closeness. They can get back to the reconciled situation. That's why it's so important that we live this thing out in front of them and we're willing to humble ourselves. 
The, the second kind of category of red flags, is it, it, it speaks more to our moms. And I guess this can be in, in, you know, in, in relevant to fathers as well, but I see this often in, in women. It's the insecure or fear-filled mother. The absent dad, yes, but also the insecure and fear-filled mother. You know the importance of the mother relationship? The mother relationship actually lays the foundation of emotional intimacy. If you had a very healthy relationship with your mother, you're probably very in, in tune with your emotions. I, I had an incredible relationship with my mother. And I have a high emotional awareness. I can understand when I feel why, what I feel and I understand why I feel it. And that makes you incredibly controlled. Because you realize what's going on here. You don't hide it. You don't get frustrated from it. You can fix whatever is happening in here because you're aware. Emotional awareness is something that is gained through a healthy mother relationship. And so moms, you are pivotal to a child's development. Unconditional love is tainted when a mother transfers her brokenness to children. Moms, your job is to teach kids what unconditional, what the unconditional love of the father looks like. That's, that's one of your primary roles. They need to know that doesn't matter what, there's going to be unconditional love. Now, fathers, we need to do that too. But kids in their formative years are primarily looking to mothers to see that aspect of God the Father. And so unconditional love helps them to set a baseline of this is safe. Here I am accepted. And here, from here I can fix anything. Anything can be made better from here. Your ability to trust people, right, actually comes from how well you were um, unconditionally loved by your mom. Even our spiritual walk is highly influenced by the way moms pursue Jesus. Your pursuit of Jesus is incredibly formative to your children's pursuit of Jesus. Our innocence is shattered when mom transfers her own struggles to us. So I want to talk about two things that women often deal with and they transfer to their kids inadvertently. I want to talk about the obsession with body image. This is a generational thing. Mom struggles and then she talks to a little girl about not becoming fat. And then little, little girl becomes aware of the fact that she may not be as slim as the next one. And in that minute, her whole existence, her whole understanding of how she was made is put in the wrong category. Moms, it is pivotal that you, even if you are struggling with that thing for yourself, that you do not transfer that to your child. Your child needs to understand that they're fearfully and wonderfully made. And there's going to come a time for body stewardship. But 
It's not the time when they're young and when they're being formed. Even after, they're, it's, it's probably an, a conversation that's meant for their higher teenage years and early adulthood years. In their formative years, they need to be celebrated. They need to know that they're beautiful. I tell my girls as many times as I can, how do you manage to be this beautiful? And you know what? I ask them that question and they give me an answer. But guess what? Where they got that answer from? I told them what to say. (laughs) But I told them what to say when they were three, when they were two. Now, they don't remember that I told them to say that. Okay, cat's out of the bag for this one now, but she's, she's mature enough to hear it. But I taught them how to think about themselves based on the truth of Scripture. And I asked them now, how do you get to be so beautiful? And their response is, is automatic because God made me this way. And, and I'm trying to instill in them an understanding that they are right. How they are is good. And they don't have to compare with the next one. Each of them, my kids are very different. Each of them are perfect. They're created in the image of God. And yes, each of them are going to have to do different things. They're going to have to manage different parts, emotions, and different you know, uh, things in their, in their genetics that they, as they grow up. But that's a discussion for another time. Moms, if you struggle with this, It's something that you need freedom from. Take it to heart that there are ways that you can accept the beauty of who God made you to be and of how God made you to be. And stop using society's measures to measure whether you are good, whether you are right. God made you the way you are through various things. Sometimes it's even through calamity. But the beauty of it is that you're still beautiful in His sight and, 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 and He don't see you as wrong in any way. He sees you as right. And so you can see you as right. You can see you as useful. And, and you can carry over a strong image of, to your kids that they are right. They don't have to worry about that. That God will help them to, you know, to make wise decisions as time goes on. But the fundamental question is, do they believe that they are right? So I'm going to ask you, mom, do you believe you're right? And look, there's nothing wrong with pursuing goals, right? There's nothing wrong with wanting something for yourself, making it a objective, putting measures in place, whether that be healthy living or whatever the case may be, to try and reach a goal that you like. But as long as you do not take your existence as being detrimentally affected by how you are, as long as you don't look at yourself in the mirror and go, you are not worth it, as long as you do not get defined in your worth or in your ability to please God and to live out your full calling when you look at yourself. Don't let this body image thing negatively identify or um, define you. Let the word of God keep defining you so that you can keep defining those kids in light of his image, in light of his measurement of what beauty is.
Sometimes it's, it's because of fear, you know, because you faced certain things in society and you don't want your kids to face that. But inadvertently, you jeopardize their perspective of themselves by trying to protect them from others. You actually become the one that hurt them. So I implore you, make sure that you celebrate them as they are and show them that they are made by God and beautiful in His sight. Um, I asked my boy, how do you get to be so strong? And I taught him the answer because of course he just knew instinctively it was all him. So he's a work in progress. I still have to remind him, no, 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 no. <clears throat> <It's laughs> he would go like, I don't know, I just am. <laughs> You'll get it. You'll get it one day. It's because God made you this way, brother. The second one I want to talk about today is the obsession with parents, and especially moms, to want their girls to find boyfriends. Oof. That's a red flag, guys. And this is, this is also sometimes the reason why we prematurely wants to talk, want to start talking to them about body stewardship. You're not going to get a boyfriend if you, know, if you don't. Never do that. Never make getting a boyfriend the goal of their lives and the reason for why they need to do anything anything that's why the bible says do not awaken love before its season okay sometimes it's born out of complete fear i just want to know whether they're interested in the opposite gender so i know that they're not gay what guys we cannot think like that we have to trust the image of God in them. And if we will put a healthy image in them, if you don't challenge their perspective about their image of wanting to like themselves the whole time, then maybe they won't grow up thinking that they are wrong and that there must be something different about them. Maybe they don't have to fight to understand why they are the way they are and make reasons for why things don't, won't work out the way and start rejecting things that they prematurely you know, don't even have to because of the fear that they might not get it and start finding solace in places where they shouldn't find it and turn out to be struggling with things that you try to not get them to struggle with but inadvertently made them question their reality. And then they do start struggling with these things. I implore you, don't let your fears get the better of you. Trust God. Trust God. He, if you, if you, if you do what's, what the Bible asks of you to do, you can leave the result to God. Model to them how to serve God. And to honor God. Model to them how to pursue Jesus. Your job as a mom, your spiritual job, is to make God as natural a part of life as the very ground that they walk upon. 
they need to see you pursue Jesus. And sometimes I, I think of Esther's mom in this, in this case, and, and, and she is an incredible, y'all, y'all, y'all will meet her soon because they're coming to visit. Um, she lives in the reality of God's presence like it is another human being with us. She's always thinking of spiritual things that we can engage in and we sit around dinner tables, when we, when we are you know, just sitting around picnicking or just on the beach. And, and you know what? Sometimes we go like, oh, I don't want to do this right now. <laughs> but you know what? I'm so thankful that she does it because she's serving her purpose as a mom by bringing us back to that reality of God. God is here. God is here. If you joyfully and intimately serve God, you lay a foundation in their lives of making Him a reality, a part of their existence. The other day I was at a kid's party for seven-year-olds. And then moving on from the, from the mom topic, there was this older gentleman who kept asking his granddaughters if they had boyfriends yet. And I was thinking, my goodness, you know what they... They should dream about what they want to do at their next party or, or how they want to decorate their rooms or you know, which sport they want to play or which music instruments they want to master. They shouldn't be thinking about the opposite gender in that way right now. And so as a mom, you need to become a guardian of their little souls. And when somebody comes and asks stupid questions like that, you need to correct them unapologetically and if they take offense and leave bye felicia (laughs) i'm serious about this one you guard their hearts you're around them more often than the fathers are going to be you're at places where they're mixing with other adults more often than fathers are going to be you need to draw the line and guard their little hearts. And you do it openly. You don't do it privately. You tell that person, hey, we don't think like that. We're focused on things that are appropriate to their age. She's talking about which color she's going to paint her room next. Thank you. They'll get the picture. And if they don't, then you step it up. But you don't back down. Not from this one. Your daughter and your son's perspective of life is on the line in that moment do not back down sometimes it's your father or your mother that does that you correct them too they're not the head of your home we spoke about that in the marriage one there needs to be a clear healthy cut between the authority of a grandparent and a parent and even if a grandparent plays a pivotal role in the, you know, the, the nurture and the, the upbringing of a child, they always need to understand that their place is as far as authority is given to them, delegated to them by the parent. And they need to honor that. Um, yeah. So... Each of my girls have, have at times asked if they can marry me one day. Um, and I say that proudly. But here's what I told them. I said to them, yeah, I'll definitely marry, I would have definitely married you. 
if I was your age. <laughs> and if I wasn't already your dad. I try to tell them, and I explain this to them, that you're exactly the kind of gal that I would have wanted to marry. I don't go, no, I can't marry you. <laughs> it's, it's all about how that response is going to let them feel about them. I know the Bible says I can't marry my daughter. I know that, okay? And it's not like I'm going to ever marry my daughter and, you know, like you, you would maybe think of. I want them to know that they are amazingly in my view somebody that i would that i would say yes yes i would marry you if i was your age you are a quality individual you are exactly what i would be looking for in a wife one day i want to validate them and and and, and luckily my son have never asked me that but he has um he has communicated to me that he never wants to leave home in no uncertain terms like that i'm never leaving this place all right <laughs> i tell him it's okay you can stay as long as you want and we have the conversation because <laughs> some point there might have to be a conversation but you know what another thing is that i tell my girls i tell them you know what at the right time i'm going to help you pick a good husband I'm not going to make the decision for you, but we'll, we'll process through it together. We'll talk about boys that you like. When the time comes and, and, and you're, you know, you're, you're getting to a place where you know, you, you're starting, we'll talk through that. And I want you to know that you're safe here until then. You have every bit of love and attention here that you need until that time. And when that time comes, I'm going to help you make a good decision. So you don't have to worry about it now. What color you want to paint your room next? And when they feel safe in that environment, they go like, okay, it's going to work out. I don't have to fear that I'm not going to get somebody. I don't have to fear that I'm not the right kind of thing. I can have peace in my mind about this. And at time when it comes, they're going to know, hey, let's talk about this. The third red flag I want to talk about, red flags and family, is when we don't deal with the start destructive family patterns. I want us to look at a family in Scripture and how these patterns played out in their lives over a couple of, over actually multiple, multiple generations. Um, in Genesis 12, we see uh, Abraham being promised by God that he will turn Abraham into a multitude of people. He will give him a huge family. Abram's married to Sarah, Sarah at, that time, at that time, different names slightly, but uh, besides the point for now, they believe God. And the Bible says that it's counted to them as righteousness. God counts them as being forgiven and being righteous because they obeyed God. Um, and that's a big part of our, our faith. He's the father of our faith. But Abram did not make only good decisions, okay? Right after this promise and them accepting it and moving out and all this, God, Abram makes a horrible mistake. And we, <laughs> and we find that mistake in Genesis 12 verse 11. It was like that, just tragic it says when he was about to enter egypt he said to his wife 
I know that you're a beautiful woman in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they will kill me because they will want you. They will let you live. So please say that you're my sister, that it might go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. <laughs> I'm adding emphasis here because I think it's pretty comical that he tries to show her how good it's going to be for her when she has to admit that she's not married to him, that she's his sister. That's weird. <laughs> In fact, when, you, when you're on a date with a guy and his colleagues show up and he goes, hey, y'all, this is my sister, I suggest you, you know, <laughs> you excuse yourself at that point. Um, so, but the problem is, Abraham, instead of trusting God, he tries to fix things in his own power. And through deception and through lies, he tries to manage a situation, okay? One generation down the line, here's what happens when Isaac finds himself married to Rebekah, and they are in a different country and becoming a part of a society there. He says, when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, no, 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 she's my sister. Like father, like son. He feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. So the patterns, the pattern forms. And then a couple of years later, he gets sons to Jacob and Esau. And guess what's at the foundation of their relationship? Deception, lies. To the point where in Genesis 27 verse 19, Jacob deceives his father and says to him, I am Esau. I'm your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Went and uh, got some, some, some uh, dinner prepared. Now please sit and eat so that your soul may bless me. Deception. This does not stop there. A fourth generation is influenced by this this pattern of trying to fix things and trying to manage things through ungodly means. Because, hey, the end will justify the means, right? No, it does not. The God of the product is also the God of the process. And for the product to be holy, the process has to be. In Genesis 37, Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, um, his favorite, in fact, falls out of favor with his brothers and they come up with a scheme to get him away out of their family. And after they've sold him into slavery, they brought a robe. They slaughtered his robe. That was a distinctive robe, different from any other. They slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in blood and sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father. And he said, this is what we have found Please identify whether this is your son's robe or not. And he identified and said, it's my son's robe. And then they said, a fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. He's dead. And they deceive Jacob. It's a seed that's being planted. And every generation, they reap it over and over again. This red flag, in different forms and ways, shows up in our families. We, we become the we become, instead of dealing with the red flags, the ones that carry it over to the next generation. So let me illustrate a little, a little progression for modern day use. Grandpa suffered abuse as a child, wrestled with addiction, went through a bad divorce, and he was terrible with money. 
He hands that off to his son. His son gets these red flags. He doesn't even realize it. He adds his own sins and struggles to it. Then turns around um, and hands them off to his daughter. And she is now carrying brokenness that began generations before her. Dumbfounded why she keeps struggling with addictions and why she can't keep a relationship. And why she has a hard time trusting people. These red flags are often not of our own doing. They're because of what we were handed down by the way we were brought up, by the experiences we had in our parental homes. But it is our job to look at these red flags and say, thus far and no more. Here's the problem. What becomes of a red flag that's just out there in, in the wind and the, and the rain? What becomes of that red flag? What happens to it over time? It turns what? Pink, right? Yeah. What do we do with pink flags? What do we do because we see a pink flag? Nothing. <laughs> you see a pink flag, you go, nice pink flag, and you move on with your life. Some of us have ignored these red flags to the point that they've become pink flags, and now we don't respond to them any longer. I hope that through this series, you've realized that there's some things that need to be dealt with in your soul, things that need to be dealt with in your life. And you take the responsibility on your shoulders to seek the Lord about these things. What must I do with the red flags I find, especially for now in my family as well? Number one, red flags that go unnamed go unchanged. It's the elephant in the room. You know, our family has just always struggled with alcohol abuse, but nobody wants to talk about it. Name it. Name it. We just keep on having divorce in our family. In an attempt to want to make the best of a situation, we end up trying to just ignore the red flag. Name it. Unless you name it, you cannot change it. We have to recognize that these things are not right. They're not God's desire. And as much as it hurts to realize it, as much as it hurts to go and say, this isn't wrong, it's the best thing you can do for yourself and for the generation that comes next. It's to respond, to try and change those things. You can never defeat what you haven't defined. Once you define this, how our family is prone to becoming alcoholics, it's easy to go. Well, then I guess I have to stay away from alcohol. Once you define it, there's a solution. But if it's that elephant that nobody wants to talk about, then you'll never come to a solution. You'll never come to a decision or what needs to be done with this. Let me ask you, what, what are the flags that you see? Maybe you experienced trauma in your life, lost at an early age. Maybe it's addictions, you know, alcohol, drugs, tobacco, porn. Maybe it's abuse, verbal abuse even, abandonment. Mom or dad wasn't there for me, so it's hard for me to even connect with my kids because I don't know what to do with a child when I'm in its presence other than being there I don't know what else much to do because I was never modeled that that's a red flag 
Go read something. Find a book. Download the app Parent Q. Gives great advice, great questions that you can use to start conversations. Activities that you can suggest to your kids to, to be with them, to do things with them. The other day I was working outside, right? I'm busy. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like super busy. <laughs> and my youngest daughter comes to me and she's like, Dad, can you build fairy houses with me? Bro, my, my whole life, in a moment, in a moment, I'm like, I'm, so, but here's, but here's what happened. Here's what happened. My mind went into, I'm going to have to go and find wood. We're going to have to find a plan on the internet. We're going to have to, do I have screws? And, and I'm about to tell her no. And I think to myself, God help me in that moment. And he popped this question into my mind. And I'm like, well, what do you think this fairy house should look like? And then she said, well, let's just take this clump of clay and we put some sticks into it and you can go find leaves and we'll make the roof. And that'll be our fairy house. And I'm like, I'm down for that, baby. Come on, I can build some fairy houses. I almost said no because of a misconception. I imagine she walked away and thought to herself, my dad came and put some sticks in a lump of clay with me. It's so easy to miss it. I miss it all the time. Thank God I got it right in that minute. Just try. Try something. It's pride. It's difficult for you to humble yourself. You believe the lie that you have to be all perfect in front of them. Look, my kids can tell you many of my flaws. I hope they don't, but <laughs> they can. <laughs> You're dealing with insecurity about who you are, how you view yourself. Go find out why that is and let us help you fix that. Don't go on looking at yourself negatively just because there's a red flag that's been handed off to you that you did nothing wrong to get. But you're suffering from this perspective because of lies that you've been communicated. Sometimes not even actively, sometimes just with the best intentions in mind. That if you'd identify that lie and pray over it with somebody, you can be released of that. And then a healed person can go on healing their generation after them. Come on, y'all. There's so much to be gained in this. Red flags that go unshared go unchanged. There's a reason why James 5 says, hey, when you find a fault in you, confess it to somebody. Because the prayer of a righteous person avails much. It's not to humiliate you. It's to free you. It's to help bring separation between the true you and this issue that you're struggling with. Get redefined in God's light so that you can deal with this thing in a healthy way. If you refuse to reveal it, 
God cannot heal it. The devil has power over what is in secret. But when you shine the light on it, he loses his grip. If you're not in a life group yet, I want to encourage you to start journeying with people in life group. That's where the type of relationships get born, get developed, grow to the point where you can start sharing some of these more deeper things with people around you. But a season of being together in a life group creates the environment that you might feel safe in to venture out toward this. Galatians 5 verse 1 says this, Christ set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. Don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. There are certain things that are, that are, that are instantly done when Jesus gave birth to your spirit man again and you were reborn. But then there are things that can jeopardize us. Things that in our soul realm still needs healing. And things that we can do that puts us under that yoke, under that bondage again. In this case, it talks about bondage to, you know, a life where I'm trying to prove my worth to God. But it's also, that also puts me back in a place of Submitting to sin, submitting to lies that hold me in bondage and prevent me from living in the freedom that Christ intended for me to live in. So my encouragement to you is name it, share it, and let people help journey with you to pray over it and deal with it so that your health can be transferred to people over you. Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, we want to come and acknowledge that we need so much of your grace, so much of your guidance, so much of your, so much your help, Lord, to help us step into these unknown things, these difficult to handle things in our families. Thank you that this invitation you extend to us today is to lead us into victory. It's not to condemn us, but it's to get us free and to get us healthy so that your kingdom effect will take root in our families, God. And we can heal not just this generation, not just our generation, but the generations that come from this, God. That our society might be impacted by our collective effort to bring healing to families, which are the building blocks of society. God, help us to take responsibility for our thing that we need to fix, that we need to walk in the, your newness of life in and contend for your result, God. Help us to not be prideful and hide, but Lord, help us to be humble and bring, bring and, and gain freedom. I pray that these words will echo, God, echo in our spirit. That through them, Father, we might see your light. We might see your truth. We might see the result. We might see the reconciliation. We might see the victory on the other side of this little moment of discomfort. And we might stretch toward that. Take a hold of that by faith. And obey. And respond. And, and move forward to deal with these matters. 
Holy Spirit, it's in our weakness that you are proven to be strong. I pray that you will encourage us to believe you, to believe the hope that you've given to us, that things might be different if we follow you, we follow your ways. I pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.